0: core weave blazes a trail vb script is verboten alcyon gets a series a ftp exploits make progress amd gives ai the nod and ipv4 is almost gone for real this time along with a special look at risk Five's growing tensions this is the gestalt it rundown <laughs> Welcome to the Rundown for October 11th, 2023. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I'm very happy to be here on this National Fossil Day. Someone who's not a fossil, of course, is my wonderful co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. But Stephen, it looks like you are eating some form of limestone today.
1: Yes, this is my favorite fossilized candy. I've got to say, um,
0: the best Halloween candy is the one that the kids hate, Necco Wafers. Well, the kids may hate it, but you're going to love it because we have a wonderful lineup of news coming your way this week. There's been a lot of stories that have been going on, and we're going to dive right in. If you're a customer of CoreWeave and you need a place to keep all your data, you're in luck because the GPU as a service platform has announced that Backblaze B2 is now an option for storage. You can also install support for Backblaze automatic backups through the CoreWeave application catalog. This move comes after last month's announcement that CoreWeave is now supporting vast data as an all-flash storage solution. Stephen, what advantage does Backblaze offer to CoreWeave customers? Well, I think the big advantage is cost savings. And um, let's just
1: be clear, Backblaze B2 is uh, yet another one of the um, S3 type object stores out there in the, in the wild. Um, but this is Backblaze we're talking about here, folks. They're not uh, the, trying to be the, the gold-plated you know, Rolls-Royce offering. Backblaze is all about offering great products at a great price, and that's what they're doing with B2. That's what they've been doing for a long time. It's, it's, it's a fantastic idea for CoreWeave because, well, honestly, AI processing is expensive enough, and uh, to add in the cost of uh, S3 storage and ingress and egress and all that kind of stuff is, uh, well, problematic. Uh, The Backblaze solution allows you to basically uh, store vast amounts of data, access them uh, through uh, CoreWeave's AI cloud, and really, really can impact uh, the cost picture here. Um, You know, I, I... can't really uh, put that into words because of course it's one of those things where you have to kind of calculate for yourself but the fact that it's right there in the core weave application catalog i think is really powerful uh, we've been talking to backblaze for years we've known those guys for years um, they know a lot about storage and frankly they uh, have done a wonderful job of basically putting together a uh, affordable and yet reliable storage solution so it's it's very cool to see this be integrated with ai and um you know, what's not to love when your uh, when your bills go down. Tom, Microsoft has decided to take the fight against malware to a new place, and that place doesn't happen to have any VBScript. Uh, the vulnerable scripting language was deprecated from Windows this week, and it will be offered as an on demand feature in the future this comes in part because of the widespread use of vbscript as an infection vector with malware uh, microsoft has been forced to curtail the use of many of these features such as office macros over the years due to abuse um, tom many of us got started uh, programming in vbscript but uh, i think this is probably uh, long
0: overdue wouldn't you say i would say so too remember how it's national fossil day do you remember when vbscript launched because i do it was 1996 and here's the deal they deprecated the platform that it launched along with, something called Internet Explorer. Yeah, that's gone because we realized that that was terrible too. Well, okay, we've we've evolved since then. So I, I would say after 27 years, it was probably time for it to be decoupled from Windows. Now, the way that they're doing this is actually kind of, you know, brilliant. Um, they're not completely getting rid of it. It's deprecated, which means in future versions of Windows, it just won't be installed by default. You know, kind of like the .NET framework which is a thing you need to go download if you need it. And that's what they're basically saying is if for some strange reason you still have something that needs VBScript to operate, you can still use it. You just have to go download it. You're going to have to make an active choice to put this on your system. Kind of like mm, when I install Telnet on a server. The reason why we're doing this is the same reason that Amazon has made all of their S3 buckets um, secure by default is because it's not the programming language itself that's problematic. It's the fact that it is on your system. It's running even if you don't realize it, and the malware writers are taking advantage of that. So this kind of idea that we're culling out the things that could lead to problems in the future are is a great way to increase the overall default security profile of an operating system. I mean, look at the way that Office macros operate now. I remember back in the day in Office 2000, you just opened up a Word document and macros just fired off all the time. And it was really cool when it worked. It was like early automation, but then people figured out how to exploit it. And now you have to click the little button that says enable macros in order to make sure that they're going to operate. And they've worked on making sure that they can't do really weird system stuff. I applaud Microsoft for this move. I agree. Probably a little bit overdue, but hey, Microsoft moves at their own speed. Um, I can't wait to see a future when we get rid of VBScript. Um, You know, here's hoping that it will make things a little bit more secure. Steven, a new data management company called Alcyon has secured a $21 million Series A funding round, including from Veeam, to deliver their AI-assisted backup and recovery with advanced security features platform offers fine-grained protection, including ransomware detection at the file level and per user with continuous learning based on user behaviors. It offers a free open source option they're calling Corso along with commercial SaaS product. What's the scoop on this, Stephen?
1: Well, I think this is all uh, about Veeam following the lessons of the great John Chambers. Um, so th- what's going on here is uh, Veeam is basically founding a company that looks like it is a competitor for Veeam. But this is not a competitor for veeam I think this is one of those uh, great examples of uh, a company that uh, is is uh, intending to eventually acquire it if, assuming that it works uh, basically it's a it's a development opportunity for new technology It makes a lot of sense to apply machine learning and artificial intelligence to data protection uh, That's exactly what Alcyon is doing. Um, they're trying to figure out ways of uh, basically, Um, doing better data protection, um, having more fine-grained control, having more uh, ability to detect anomalies, having more ability to uh, cover uh, the different data sources that are out there um, using artificial intelligence. Um, Something like that is a bit of a moonshot and it sometimes requires a bit of an external company to to make that moonshot. So, for example, Let's say you were trying to figure out how to do data protection in modern uh, cloud applications and uh, Kubernetes applications and things like that. Well, um, then you would want to have kind of a moonshot development company that would uh, develop that technology, and then it could be acquired and brought into a uh, great uh, company like Veeam with lots and lots of customers. Well, that would be Kasten. And Kasten was founded by, by, oh, let me see, Niraj Tolia. And who is he? Well, he's the guy behind Alcyon. Um, He also was one of the folks at Hedvig, uh, which was acquired by Commvault. Um, You might have heard him from uh, Magnetics, which was acquired by EMC. Um, Essentially, this is one of those great engineers in our industry who loves to um, pioneer new technology to figure out new ways of doing things, and then uh, the big guys buy them and bring them in and make them part of their portfolio. I absolutely think that that's what's going to happen with Alcyon. If it works, um, I could see there being a bit of a... uh, Uh, bidding war for uh, what they're putting together if that happens uh, Veeam's not gonna cry even if they don't end up owning it because well they're gonna have a big share of it no matter what and uh, so either they get the money or they get the technology and they walk away happy so congratulations uh, Niraj. it's great to see you again working on stuff like this Uh, congratulations Veeam for having the foresight to invest in new technology and here's hoping it works progress software is back in the news for all the wrong reasons Ransomware attackers have begun exploiting recently patched vulnerabilities in the WSFTP server, posing a serious threat to global enterprise networks. And yes, it's National Fossil Day, and WSFTP has been around for a long time. But it's actually not a fossil. This is a product that is very widely used and has a lot of applications in enterprise tech. And the fact that there's a vulnerability in it, well, that's not great. These vulnerabilities are incredibly severe. Uh, Attackers are trying to establish a permanent presence in the compromised servers, And the impact may not be as widespread as the Move-It vulnerability, which also attacked a Progress product. But um, organizations should be very, very careful here because this thing could be really damaging.
0: Yeah, I would say so because um, I, I reference one of everybody's favorite XQCD comics about sanitizing your inputs, also known as Little Bobby Tables. That's what's going on here. Is that the WSFTP client and server architecture allows you to send in unsanitized code that then becomes an object in the system that allows you to gain a foothold. That's bad. Um, if you're a programmer and you're watching this, or you're one of those DevOps unicorns, uh, sanitize your inputs. Just, just do it. Sanitize your inputs. End of story. But I love the fact that Progress is trying to get out in front of this. So unlike the Move It vulnerability, which felt like it was just getting worse and worse by the minute, Progress has tried to patch the system. They are trying to figure out a way to prevent this from running or require it to be authenticated or, you know, basically some basic like triage work. Uh, where they're irritated, of course, is the fact that they released a patch back in September and within a day, there was already proof of concept code out that was trying to take advantage of this. So the dwell time between when an exploit is reported and a proof of concept comes out is actually shrinking significantly because a lot of groups out there are trying to take advantage of this. And with the success that we've seen this year of vulnerabilities like MoveIt It getting file system access to a server at a, a elevated privilege level is massive for uh, companies, I say companies, let's call them what they are, criminal organizations, that are trying to make money off of ransomware by either locking your data or exfiltrating it through um, FTP and uh, holding it for ransom. So I, I, I applaud progress for their efforts here. I just think that, you know, you've got to be on top of this as quickly as possible, And unfortunately, we're kind of getting to the point now where the right answer, of course, is just shut everything down until we can patch it and then hope that the patch doesn't get exploited before we can get it deployed. And given the popularity of WSFTP, I would say that that's probably going to be a difficult order to to stack up to. AMD has announced its acquisition of Nod Labs, which is an open source artificial intelligence software startup that specializes in reinforcement learning. This is a strategic move on the part of AMD and their AI growth strategy because they're competing with NVIDIA, which has seen substantial revenue growth. Nod AI's expertise in open source AI software and AI model optimizations is expected to enhance AMD's AI software's capabilities. The acquisition is set to close this quarter furthering amd's pursuit of a more robust presence in the ai market
1: yeah this is a great move by amd um not ai they 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 were basically one of the companies that are out there figuring out how to make all this stuff work and that's kind of the phase that we're in here with machine learning it's not so much does it work it's how do we make it work, how do we make it work predictably, how do we make it easy, how do we make it easy to deploy, and that's just what Nod Labs was doing. Essentially, they've created, um, well, the the big thing I I know them for is the Shark uh, machine learning distribution, which is essentially a very easy way to deploy uh, machine learning workloads, uh, especially on AMD Radeon GPU hardware. Well, if that sounds like the kind of thing that AMD would be interested in, I think you'd be right. Um, essentially, they have been putting together a system that would, um, you know, kind of just make it easier to use AMD hardware. Uh, this is an attempt to erode the benefit that um, our friends over at NVIDIA have already with uh, with CUDA. Basically, um, they're so far ahead. They've got their proprietary uh, interface that people love. Um, a lot of people are writing to it. Um, and, and everybody's uh, aiming at CUDA and trying to figure out ways of chipping away at that, um, that tower that, underm- or that, that supports AMD's entire market. They're trying to undermine that. Um, that's what PyTorch is all about. That's what Shark is all about. Um, so it makes a lot of sense for AMD to be here. Now, um, why exactly would they do this? Well, it's open source. Um, so I could see an argument that you might say, you know, why did they have to acquire it at all? Um, I suspect that there's a, an element of aqua hire here. Maybe they liked what the, what the Shark uh, distribution was doing, and they felt like that could be better within AMD. I also think that there's uh, an element here to make sure that this remains focused and remains accessible on AMD hardware, and frankly, um, you know, any software that supports AMD's hardware is going to be attractive to AMD. Um, another funny thing about this acquisition is that the company was located literally across the street from AMD in Santa Clara, so um, you know, maybe they looked across it, hey, what are those guys doing there? But I, I don't suspect that that's really it. I do think that this is going to have limited impact overall on AMD's. Um, share price or sales or anything in the near future. AMD is really focused on ramping up their uh, MI300 product, uh, getting that into the market. Um, I think this is more of a long-term play to push AMD as a competitor to NVIDIA than a short-term thing, but I think it's a good play. This week, uh, APNIC, the Asian Domain Registrar, announced that they're on the verge of allocating their last slash eight address range. Uh, The last remaining address in the 130 range are quickly being handed out to customers. While APNIC does have some remaining address space in some other reserve ranges, uh, it is a symbolic milestone, isn't it, to think that they're allocating the last slash eight? Um, IPv6 adoption continues to rise around the globe.
0: But Tom, is it really the year of IPv6? Is IPv4 behind us? Um, I think we're about to get there. And the biggest reason for that is because, as we know from Basic Economics 101, as the supply of a resource becomes constrained, the price goes up. And we've seen that, we reported on it earlier in the rundown this year, that Amazon is going to start raising prices and charging more for using public IPv4 addresses in your VPCs. And APNIC was one of the last places that still had address ranges available to be allocated. Uh, based on what I've seen, there are a little more than 30,000 address uh, spaces available there. Um, for reference, a Slash 8, which is what we used to call a Class A, has about 16 million addresses. Um, but we've never handed one of those out as a full like 16 million address block you know, for a very long time because they're just so precious. Um, I think what we're going to see, and we've already really seen this, is abnic has really been pushing customers to use v6. Um, use v4 if you have to for some weird compatibility reason, but otherwise go to v6. And when you look at the way that things are being structured now, especially by companies like Google, like Amazon, they are really, really pushing people to use v6 primarily. In fact, uh, one of my favorite things that I hear a lot, especially at our networking field day events, is when our delegates refer to IPv6 as the IP protocol and IPv4 as legacy IP, meaning you need to get on board with it. And it's, it's a common question that we get, where we run into trouble is it's not necessarily the networking people that are wanting to adopt it. It's the developers who don't want to write to it. They don't want to uh, include support for it, or it's um, middling at best. So I think that running out of resources is really going to accelerate where we're at with this. Now, I know that there are other uh, uh, regional internet registrars, RIRs in this space that are, they may have some space available. I believe Afronic is probably the largest single holder of address space right now, just because of the situation that they're in with being able to allocate things. The problem is, is that people are gonna start bidding for those addresses, unless there's some kind of governance issue that prevents Afronic from transferring those somewhere, you're gonna see things get out of hand real fast. So. This should kind of be your Clarion call. You know, Aaron, which is the U.S. registrar, APNIC, they're both out of IPv4 addresses. Um, your other, you know, RIPE, Afrinic, uh, LACNIC, they're running out. Now is the time. You need to be on IPv6 if you're not already because if you don't get there fast, you're going to be out in the cold. All right, Stephen, we had a story we wanted to take a closer look at, and of course, it does involve the intersection of technology and geopolitics because there's been a huge battle going on between the U.S. and China, which we've covered a number of times here on the rundown. They've opened a new front, however, and it involves the open source chip technology, which we know as risc Five. American lawmakers, which are citing national security concerns, are pressuring the US Biden administration to place restrictions on the ability of US companies to be involved with Risk v because it is widely utilized in China. The technology competes with proprietary chip architectures from ARM and Intel and has applications that range from smartphone chips to advanced artificial intelligence processors. Lawmakers fear that China is exploiting a culture of open collaboration amongst American companies to bolster their own semiconductor industry which will potentially undermine the US's leadership in the chip field and could potentially support China's military modernization now longtime listeners of the rundown know that we have spoken a lot about risk 5 and the whole situation that's going on between the US and China it's really no surprise that we're starting to see these two things merge today but I guess that's where we want to start this conversation Stephen, is how should we look at this situation?
1: Yeah, well, I got to say, my first reaction to this is, oh, my gosh, please don't tell lawmakers how widespread Linux is used in China. Um, and honestly, the situation is very similar in that you have a, a true, a truly open, as in free speech, as in it's out there, um, technology that really you can't stuff stuff in the bottle, no matter how much you want to. Now, it's true that there are companies in the United States working on advanced RISC-V platforms, and some of those are, well, honestly, the most advanced Risk v platforms. But that being said, um, RISC-V is, is an open standard. It is an open instruction set architecture. It is widely used. It is widely understood around the world. There is literally, literally no way that any amount of government pressure can stop RISC-V from being used in China. So let's just get that out of the way first. The genie is out of the bottle. There are many Chinese companies already working on developing their own Risk v processors. Um, some of them are doing really, really great work on their RISC-V processors, Um, Some of them are spinoffs from the uh, American and other European technology companies, and some of them are working on this on their own. There are implementations of RISC-V that are being manufactured in China that are uh, moving forward. A lot of embedded uh, processors, but also a lot more higher, let's say not say high performance, but higher performance processors are being manufactured now. There are extensions uh, to the RISC-V instruction set that allow you to do things like machine learning. Um, There's uh, RISC-V processors that are being embedded in 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 other um, alongside other accelerator chips and accelerator platforms. So so basically, this thing is out there. And not only that, but uh, RISC-V technically is overseen by a Swiss. Uh, firm, which is politically neutral, of course, and outside the reach, uh, well, at least somewhat outside the reach of uh, the U.S. and other Western governments. So the whole thing just feels incredibly, incredibly short-sighted and misguided. Um, but that being said, it actually reflects a real concern, which is, and this should be certainly as a concern at, AM, or at uh, ARM, it should be a concern at AMD and NVIDIA and Qualcomm, and especially at Intel, which is that risk v presents the possibility of an alternate future where those companies don't dominate the uh, instruction set architectures, where the most advanced chips are based on something that truly is a free and open instruction set architecture, and any company can work on it. And in that case, well, lawmakers won't have anything to say about that. And like I said, the the, the, the cats out of the barn, the horses out of the bag, I don't know. I don't see how you can do anything about this. Do you see any, any, what's going on here? How can the U.S. do this, Tom?
0: Well, the U.S. can do this because they think that they control all of the ways to manufacture this. And as we talked about before, the U.S. is putting pressure on China to kind of, shape up, right? So they're trying to convince manufacturers of this lithography machines that are required for chip manufacturing not to ship those over there. They're trying to create an embargo. What they didn't count on is the fact that, and I hate to say it, capitalism works a little too well sometimes. The reason why RISC-V never really took off was because nobody could make any money off of it. When you look at what Intel and AMD and NVIDIA are doing, that's what capitalist companies do. When you look at what happened with Arm, and we covered that debacle a lot in 2022, and when we look at the plans that that SoftBank has for Arm now that they're public, they want to start charging more for Arm IP to get their money back, right? Okay, that all makes sense. So when you combine the fact that everybody is focused on, on squeezing every little cent that they can out of this architecture, and you look at what China's facing right now with their inability to get advanced manufacturing equipment to do all this chip stuff what can they do well i'm sure that the us and its allies were hoping nothing that they're going to have to come to the negotiating table and we're going to have to figure out a way to make this work they found a way to cut that gordian knot basically they adopted risk five it's open source everything's out there we can develop it we can take what people are putting into it and put it into ourselves because as we have talked about the intellectual property protections in China are a little more mm, flexible if you will and anybody will admit that. So what you've got is a country that is pouring resources into doing this and basically saying we're going to stake our claim here. Now for those of you out there that are thinking that you know this is like uh, Russian Linux distributions or North Korea's Red Star OS that runs on all their PCs. No this is not that. This is fundamentally shifting that architecture. So think about it like this how many us companies can you think of that are actively trying to do business in china lots of them right i'll pick the biggest one apple apple wants to sell iphones in china because it's a huge growing market what will happen if the majority of the chips that are manufactured in china are risk five and not apple arm-based architectures problems because now you have fundamentally incompatible technology so china will just say we're not going to open our markets to the West because nothing from the West will run on our architectures. If you want to come to China, you have to redevelop your applications, your software, your hardware to be compatible with risk five. So in essence, they're flipping the tables over and forcing people to come to their bargaining table to be admitted to China, as opposed to having to come begging hat in hand to get the technology to play on the same playing field as the West.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's important to recognize that, as I said, some of the most powerful RISC-V processors are being developed in China already. So Alibaba has announced um, a series of chips that are doing some really impressive uh, performance numbers um, built on RISC-V. That is completely out of the hands of the U.S. to control. Um, The uh, Chinese Academy of Sciences, the Institute of Computing Technology over there, also has a high-performance RISC-V processor project. And frankly, as you mentioned, you know, you talk about companies in the West like Apple. Um, well, Western Digital, we know, has been actively involved in developing their own RISC V processors to replace ARM and other um, embedded processors in things like SD, SSDs and flash controllers and so on. Um, we suspect that companies like Apple and Google and Amazon and more are also developing their own RISC V processors as a way to hedge against whatever is going to happen with ARM and frankly we've seen so many times i mean heck it's in the news on a on a, on a weekly basis now that companies are hungry to a- avoid having to pay the high price for proprietary processors and accelerators risk five has got to look awful awful tempting to those companies and frankly, it's it's available. Um, it can be started as a Skunkworks project. It can be started as something where you basically bring in a team from a university who's been working on this as a way to learn about processor design. You could bring them in. You could give them some funding, and you could see what they can do with Risk Five. I think it's only a matter of time before Risk Five becomes a very serious threat, not just to ARM but to the Intel x86 architecture as well. And again, that's not gonna be something that anyone, anyone can control. And I think, um, I'll just go on record right here now, I suspect that we're gonna be looking at a massive um, uh, computing shift. So we just watched Apple shift from x86 to ARM. I think 10 years from now, we're gonna be seeing a massive shift of the entire computing industry from x86 and ARM to RISC-V. And when that happens, this thing is, well, the sky's the limit on where this thing goes.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it, Stephen. And let's be fair, it's time to quote Angelina Jolie again. Risk architecture is gonna change everything. And with that, I think we're gonna go ahead and wrap the rundown here. Um, we will be covering these stories in, in more depth in the future as they kind of play out. But also in the future, we have a lot of other exciting things coming up. In fact, we have something coming up next week, Stephen. What are you gonna be doing?
1: That's right. Um, We are very happy to be announcing that we will be uh, hosting Cloud Field Day next week. Um, Please do tune in on LinkedIn uh, or at the Tech Field Day website. You'll see companies like AMD, Juniper, uh, Mesmo, a brand new company, VMware, Weka, Fortinet, and Prosimo presenting to the Cloud Field Day delegate community next week on uh, techfieldday.com.
0: Awesome. And right after that, I'm going to be in California for Networking Field Day 33, which will be taking place October 25th and 26th. We're going to have great presentations from companies like Cisco, Nokia, Fortinet, Graphiant, Intel, and a new company, RGNets. They were very excited and wanted to jump in front of our delegates. And we might have one more waiting in the wings. Stay tuned for that one. And then I'm going to take a break, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks for Security Field Day. We're very excited to be talking to several companies that are gonna be involved in that. Make sure you check techfieldday.com for a full lineup of the presenters, as well as the schedule. And we will be adding more great dates very soon to techfieldday.com, because we're gonna be getting into 2024 and it's very exciting for us to be able to be doing that, as well as bringing you all of the wonderful news here every week on the Gestalt IT Rundown. Remember, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo. You can subscribe to us in your favorite podcast application. We usually release these episodes on Wednesday around 12.30 Eastern time, and we welcome your feedback. We love to hear what you love about the rundown. Uh, We also love hearing that uh, people will quote our rundown stories to their coworkers, to let them know that they're keeping up with the tech news. Um, So, you know, thanks to that. Thanks to you for all of that. Um, We'll be back next week with another great episode. Steven will be at cloud field day. So I'll have a co-host with me and uh, we'll be taking a look at some of the new announcements as well as some of the stuff that happened in the last seven days. But until then, next week, uh, take care of yourselves, stay warm. It's fall out there. So things are starting to, uh, pick up. And uh, if you do have the opportunity, go buy some real Halloween candy. Uh, Necco wafers don't necessarily count. We'll see you next week on The Rundown.